You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Crypt Top C, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians and we talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Loads of stuff going on in the Vox and Hops world. Uh, as I've been talking about for the past few weeks, I am one of the official sponsors of Devastation on the Nation 2020, featuring Rotting Christ, Borknagar, Wolfheart, Abigail Williams, and Imperial Triumphant. Tickets went on sale last week, and you better get your tickets if you want to go to this tour, because some of the dates have already sold out, specifically the Brooklyn, New York show at St. Vitus is sold out, and there are many other dates where tickets are just flying and we are seeing low ticket warnings. So if you want to come to Devastation on the Nation 2020, you better get your ticket now via the link in the description of this podcast, or you can go straight to metalfestivaltours.com and grab your tickets because this is a party that you do not want to miss. I've also started a new segment called the Vox and Hops Metal Brewer Talks. The first episode of that came out last Tuesday. I'm super stoked to have this project up and running. It is something I've had in the back of my mind for a few months now, and I'm happy that I've figured out a way to make this project work and to fall into the format of the Vox and Hops podcast, considering I'm speaking with people from all over the globe. If you are a metal brewer, which means you like metal music and you brew craft beer, or if you know someone or if you have someone in mind when I say this, someone that comes to your mind when I say metal brewer, please hit me up. You could send me a message through the Vox and Hops social media pages, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or you could simply send me an email to matt at voxandhops.com. That's M-A-T-T at V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And I'll be super stoked to explain how this works and to set it up. Today on the podcast, I'm with Gabe Mangold, the guitarist of Enterprise Earth. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 93. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I'm with Gabe Mangold, the guitarist of Enterprise Earth. We are live at Saint-Buck Brasserie Artisanale on Saint-Denis Street, Montreal. It is one of Montreal's premier tap rooms, and they just delivered us a beautiful beer. This is called uh, La Popote, and it is a IPA that's been infused with XXX, which means cannabis extract. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Well, that's good. That's really good, actually. It's cool. <laughs> that's really good. It's a little dank. Yeah, pretty dank, yes. I, I, I like it. I like it very much. I like it. Gabe, tell everyone a little about yourself. Let's start at the beginning. You're growing up in your parents' house. What music was playing? What was the soundtrack to your youth? Uh, well, my dad's also a musician. Uh, his uh, Probably his biggest inspirations, uh, favorite artists are definitely like Bruce Springsteen and Kiss and all the classic rock stuff like that. So I grew up with a lot of that. Um, he took me to my first show when I was five, which was also a Kiss concert, followed by a Bruce Springsteen concert when I was six. So um, I kind of got a good impression of rock and roll at that age. And um, yeah, I grew up with that. Lots, lots of rock, lots of blues, and then transitioned to metal in my teens and stuff like that. What was it like for you, five years old, at a Kiss concert? What, what are your memories of that night? I think my only memory of that night was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what the hell's going on here? Why is he spitting fire and blood? And he's now he's up in the air, like levitating, and 
now Paul Stanley is you know flying out in the crowd for Love Gun and <laughs> what the hell is going on? Was it was it fear? Was it intrigue? Was it a mix of both? It was definitely like not fear, like intrigue and like enchantment. I was just like really interested with like the whole show and just the general vibe of it, of the shows. It was really cool. So transitioning to metal, what was that big metal band that first got you hooked? Uh, I mean the old classic first time hearing master of puppets that was gone after that so I started playing guitar shortly after that and i was like yeah i want to learn this was that also from your father where did that come from i think it was like i was like on the radio i think because back in that day they had it back in pittsburgh where i grew up they at six o'clock every every day during the week they had mandatory metallica at 6 p.m really yeah, yeah it's that's long gone now but um, that's where I got introduced to Metallica, and I heard Master of Puppets on, on the radio um, for the first time. And, um, yeah, I was just totally blown away and entranced by, by what, it. What was it about that song, about the guitar playing, that just got you so into it? It was just so, like, just so aggressive and so in your face. And I, I don't know, I just love the energy, which is the thing I like about metal the most, is just the, the high-intensity, high energy. And I'd never heard anything like that. And as a 13-year-old, kind of working my way up to it that was like exactly what i needed to kind of launch me into the metal world how many years of practice did it take you i assume you've gotten there by now until you could play master of puppets properly i still at my right hand still has a hard time keeping up (laughs) (laughs) the left hand can do it but the right hand that's like 212 bpm i think that's that's still some hard shit like uh, i don't i couldn't play it all the way through clean that's for sure but um I can I can kind of slot my way through it and cheat alternate picket if, if if I get tired. So it was always a guitar. You were always drawn to a guitar. You wanted to be a guitarist. You didn't want to be a vocalist. You didn't want to be a drummer. Always a guitarist. Well, actually, I played drums before I played guitar. Actually, um, my dad. Uh, set me up with drum lessons when I was about 10 and he got me a kit shortly after that and I played drums for a few years and then um, he, my, my dad plays guitar and, and saxophone and stuff like that but um, he played guitar so I started like fiddling around on his guitar and I took a guitar class in like intermediate school something like that and then it was just guitar right, right after that Do you think your dad was like hoping to have someone to jam with? Yeah but <laughs> <laughs> Well interesting enough because uh, my dad and I used to play in a cover band back home in Pittsburgh too so we, we did that for about five years playing just classic rock tunes 90s tunes pop tunes the the standard bar gigs and stuff like that so that's awesome yeah it was a lot of fun that's awesome at what point did you come to the point where you needed to go even farther even more extreme what was the big uh extreme outside of like metallica the big standard commercial bands Um, that got your fancy i think like as far as like extreme music, like death metal stuff, I, it was hearing uh, Entombment, of, uh, Entombment of Machine by Job for a Cowboy. I had never heard anything like super intense like that before. And, you know, the, that's a classic song now, I guess. And it, as soon as I heard that, it was like kind of the same thing with like hearing Metallica. I was like, what the fuck is this? I want I want more of that. And then got into like more extreme music and stuff like that after that so yeah yeah, Job for a Cowboy was my gateway to death metal so (laughs) if you could organize and you were in charge and you could pick what would be a dream tour for Enterprise Earth a dream tour Um, Gojira is the headliner or Meshuga one of the others probably my two two favorite bands um Bands now or in the past? Anything? All right. Can have fun. Okay, all right. Pantera, Gojira, and then... It's, I'm trying to think of who else in between. 
And then us opening, obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> now you guys headline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take me through like your writing process. How do you write new riffs? How do you remember them? What's the typical way of you creating new music? Um, it, it, inspiration strikes in many ways, I think. Sometimes it starts with a melody in my head, with a, a vocal or a lyric line in my head. Uh, sometimes it starts from a thought or an emotion. Like songs, songs have you know, been created in many ways. So um, I don't know. I just kind of try to channel it as whatever I'm kind of vibing at the moment. For, for, for the metal stuff, it's mostly just, it starts with the guitar almost nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100. It starts with a guitar riff and then kind of goes from there. Um, but if I'm writing lyrics or singing stuff or something like that, it might be uh, a lot of that comes from like emotions that I felt, places that I've seen, and um, the the melodies and, and words kind of come come from that. So, are are you like a person that carries around a book, or you have like a file on your phone that you write down ideas, or is it the music comes and then you write it to the music? It, it, mostly music comes and I write it. Sometimes I'll do the old uh, iPhone microphone and I'll be like bound to down down to downtown and into my phone and kind of go from there um but yeah i i, I try to jot it down as soon as I, as soon as i can after i think of it so you get that moment where you like re-listen to riffs in the future from the past and you're like what the hell is this yeah <laughs> yeah what key is this in yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much i'm, like, I'm kind of going through that now because uh, over this we had three months off in the summer so i, I wrote a new album and um, now we're getting to the point where I have to relearn everything and get ready for the studio in the spring. But um, yeah, so it's, I'll, I'll just some, actually what I try to do is I try to tab it out in Guitar Pro like as soon as I can. Once I know the song's done, like all right, this is for sure a song. I'll tab it out and have just easy to recall that way. That's smart. That that's smart. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're drinking a great craft beer like we do all the time on Box and Hops. Um, are you a craft beer enthusiast? I'm not a huge craft beer enthusiast. Like I can't say I know a whole lot about beer and stuff like that. But I do enjoy beer, <laughs> and I uh, enjoy drinking it, and I do appreciate good beer. So I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but I do enjoy it. So take me back to that first beer. Do you remember your first beer and what that experience was like? Um, it's probably a high school party. It's probably something shitty like a Natty Ice or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> somewhere along those lines. Uh, I don't really remember <laughs> it too much, but it was probably something really shot, really bad, and when I was 15 or 16, and that's that's all I can rec recall <laughs> from that. Do you remember your first good beer? First good beer. Um, I guess it depends what your definition of good beer is. <laughs> A beer that, that made you open your eyes and say that beers could taste, oh, beers can taste like this. Yeah. Something with a bit more character and profile. Uh, okay, so so in, in Pittsburgh, well, in Pittsburgh, there's lots of breweries, lots of great places to eat, so many good places uh, to drink and eat there. But um, there is a particular place called the Penn Brewery um, in Pittsburgh in the north side. And they, they you know, it's one of the premier like breweries in town. And I, I couldn't remember exactly what kind of beer I had, but I do remember the first time going there and having a legal drink and um, being like, wow. A legal drink. Yeah, th this is <laughs> this is not a Natty Ice or a Bud Light. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When you're at home and you have the choice to go drink a beer, what style of beer do you gravitate towards? I like lagers. 
Um, I also like dark beers like stouts and stuff like that too. So um, I, I'm not really too picky either way. Um, I'll I'll try anything. I'll drink anything. I, I used to not not like IPAs, but now I do. So um, yeah, I, I definitely like to sample as much as I can. So. It's like anything. It's like music. You need to develop your palate. Yes, precisely. That, that first yeah. time that if you show like a well, that's not true. Hold on. If you show like me like Cannibal Corpse way back in the day, I would have been probably thought it was too extreme. Yeah. Mm. Or like that Ace Ventura bit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was so cool that it was like as a child, it was like almost laughable. Right. That yeah. it's so extreme. I didn't yeah. understand what was happening. Yeah. 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 Jim Carrey's face up on stage. <laughs> the worm dance, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that it ever come to the point that Enterprise Earth would organize and have their own craft beer collaboration? I would love to do that. And I know uh, Dan... Dan and Rob are, and Brandon, all, all of us enjoy beer. Uh, Dan, Dan in particular really enjoys his beer. Um, we, we would love to do that if we had an opportunity to, to, to do it with someone who, who could do it for us. So. If you could do it, what style of beer would it be, and what would its name be? Oh, boy. Um, I guess for me it would be a lager just because that's probably my favorite kind of beer. Um, and what would it be called? Um, oh, boy. Put me on the spot. Uh you can fuck with a song name. You can fuck with an album title. Yeah. It, we could call it... I'm trying to think of something witty off the top of my head that involves a lager or a beer or alcohol or something like that. Um, oh, okay. Uh, we have a song called Behold Malevolence. I would call it Beerhold Malevolence. There you go. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got on spot. So. <laughs> Beerhold. Beerhold Malevolence. Malevolence. Yeah. An American lager. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me like a few... A half hour, I could probably think of something better, but that's all I got right now. <laughs> if you could travel back in time and relive one tour that you've done, what tour would that be and why? Um, one tour that we've done. Um, well, uh, we, we've, we toured Europe once with Chelsea Grin, Oceano. Uh, we're, we're actually going back soon. It's actually it's the same tour we're on now. Uh, it's Ring's Headliner, us as direct support. Uh, we have Traders. Um, instead of Angel Maker and then Brand of Sacrifice as the opener. So That's we're, amazing. We're taking yeah. this whole U.S. tour over over to across the pond. It should should be a really good time. So, yeah, like Europe was a lot of fun with Chelsea Green, and I can't wait to go back. So. What is it about that tour that you just love so much? Was it the fact that it's the first time you're sharing the the Nightliner with three bands? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely that. Not having to drive was super sick. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, all the beer and stuff at the venues because that was all included with the rider and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, like it just you know all the bands are on the same bus, so everyone's just like it's like super super bro time, super hangout time, and the, the vibe was just really sick. It flew by, so. and it's just all the time. It's like yeah. you're surrounded by this family of exactly. people. Yeah, and everyone like it's you know everyone just hangs out, has a good time, and yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. touring Europe is always a good time. Yes, I yes, love it, it very much. Yes, that's stoked. You guys are going back. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. What are some bands that like really influenced Enterprise Earth as you guys are growing up? Something that uh, you guys hold dear to your hearts. Who would those bands be? See, uh, I I know for Dan like uh, and myself, uh, the Lamb of God was was a huge one for us. Uh, Gojira, Mashuga, um, Mastodon. I actually, have a whole Mastodon sleeve. Actually, I, I really just appreciate the artwork of uh, Paul A. Romano, who did the first four album artworks. I love the art. I love that band too. But um, I, I have their first four albums on my arm, and I look like a fanboy, I guess. But uh, yeah, they're they're uh, they're they're a massive influence on me too. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Band, bands along those lines for Enterprise Earth. You do have a lot of tattoos. Talk me through that process, how you got so involved in having so many tattoos. I guess I got I got my first well my, my first tattoo it's 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 lasered off and covered now but it was a uh, Franken Frankenstrat the the old uh, 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 Eddie Van Halen guitar I had that on my upper arm that was my first tattoo really because uh, Van Halen's a massive influence I, I, I was influence. gonna say he must have been yeah I, 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 on my lead playing I guess Van Halen and like Stevie Ray Vaughan two massive influences on me but um that was my first tattoo and then I got the uh, the Mastodon sleeve when I was 19 really yeah. And then um, it's a big commitment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially at, at that age too. I, what if they would have sold out? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's there forever, so <laughs> I got no choice. Yeah. They won't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then um, my right arm is uh, it's zodiacs for uh, 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 sun signs for my family. It also it, I wanted it to match the left side, so it's this is four pieces. This is four pieces. Lots of animals and colors and. Stuff like that. So, that are you at the point where you know where you're going next with your tattoos? Do you aspire for more? I, I have no idea. Um, I, I would like to do my back at some point. I haven't really gotten a tattoo in several years. Well, actually, I, I got something small behind my ear um, a few a few weeks ago before this tour. Um, just uh, it's a it's a Zia inside of a Keystone, and it just it's just this was actually the first meaningful tattoo I've got. Something I got that like wow. <laughs> Come on, the sun starts. For well, th- th- that's meaningful too. But like it, it you know, you, you, when you're young, you get them because they look cool or whatever. But this one's just simple line work. It's um it's the, just for the two states I've lived in, Pennsylvania and New Mexico, the two state symbols. And uh, the two places where I've, you know, left a piece of my my mind and heart. So you mentioned that it's been a few years that you haven't had extensive work done. How coinciding timeline-wise is that with when the band started touring a lot? Um, it was it was about a year before the band started touring. Actually, it, it, nothing really to do to do with the band touring. I just haven't had any like solid ideas. And um, I don't make as much money as I used to. That, <laughs> so, that's that's where I was leaving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of which is a good thing because that gives me more time to contemplate about you know what I really want to get because that gets harder as I get older. About like wow, I don't know if I want to do that to my body as <laughs> as I get older. So they, they they are still in very good shape. Cool, uh, thanks. A lot thanks, of people yeah. have tattoos and yeah. they thanks, they don't uh, take care of them. Yeah, thank you. They wear off. You posted this amazing picture of your band, Van. A lot of people try to, like, pimp their van. Yeah, yeah. But I think you've taken it to the next level. So (laughs) let's talk everyone through what the extensive... Enterprise Earth <laughs> touring van is at now and where it's at now. Sure. Um, so I guess starting from the basics, it's a it's a '99 Ford E350. But um, for any of the uh, the car nerds out there, it's it's a '73 Power Stroke diesel, which is Ford's like super like legendary diesel engine. I found one in LA with like only a hundred thousand miles, um, which you do not find those anymore. They stopped making them in 2003. Who, who is driving this van? Who, who's driving it? Some old lady. No, it was actually um, it was this uh, place called Boys Ranch in Amarillo, Texas. So it sounds kind of creepy. It does. Yeah, but um, <laughs> uh, I looked into it, and it was um, it's just like, it's like a boy boys club, like boys and girls club, like ranch in Texas. So one previous owner, um, it, they didn't even have like a hitch installed on it. So it and uh, it was super clean. Uh, it looked like it hadn't been worked a day in its life, honestly, because they were probably just taking kids around and stuff like that. Uh, really good good shape. Found it. At a good price 
Um, and those diesels like regularly go over 500,000 miles. They, they, they are million-mile engines if you take good care of them. I don't, I don't know if we'll take it that far, but it should last us for many years to come. You will probably drive it into the ground. Yeah, yeah. I, that, the plan is to drive it into the ground, yeah. But uh, we, uh, we, we, we take care of our vehicles uh, very, very meticulously, so we, we, we plan on having it for a while. But, um, yeah, I, I just, like, well, first of all, I, I, I live in a tiny home trailer myself, so I, I live a mobile lifestyle and, I, and have been living that way for a few years now. So having lived that way and getting some insight on, on how this works and then having toured for a couple of years, it's like, well, you know, we, we can't, you know, we, all, we can't afford a bandwagon yet. We can't afford, like, a sprinter rig. Those don't get as, they, they don't haul as well anyway. Um, so I was like, all right, what can we do with a 15-passenger van, the thing that everyone tours in? And I, w- I thought for a while of how I can kind of create this space to where six to seven grown-ass dudes can, like, sleep in it comfortably. And um, it, lo- lo- lots of bands in the past do, do the back, the kind of like the... the like bunk, a platform. The, yeah, yeah, the platform in the back, which, which is what we did. Um, but I guess what I added to this, um, which I don't know if I've seen bands do it yet, and it was a, two, a two-part function. One, to create more space, and two, this van is actually now my personal vehicle in between tours. So um, what I did is I put hinges on the bunks. Um, I haven't posted the full pictures of of that yet, but um, the bunks actually, they hinge up and they secure to the roof of the van, just tied off. So when I'm when we're not on tour, you I can have, load some stuff. Yeah, I have like a truck bed basically back there, um, and just space, um, and the legs fold back and all that stuff. Uh, but when it when it is in tour mode, um, there's not like legs on the side. It's like maximum maximum platform space, just just some legs in the middle, which is nice on the bottom because it offers a divider between the the, the, the two folks on the bottom, and um, you can actually fit three people on the top uh, parallel to the axles if you really wanted. But right now we have two on the bottom, two on the top. And then the other thing I did, um, just from just you know working with RVs and being familiar with the camping lifestyle, um, instead of the standard two front benches, because a lot of bands do the platform and then just leave the butt, the, the front benches in. They do. Um, I took all the benches out and I built a convertible dinette, which has been in RVs since like the 50s and 60s. Um, so basically, the benches face each other. And there's a table with removable legs. So when you want to sit, like if you want to sit down, if we're traveling or just hanging out it's you can put it as a table everyone gets to hang out they can seat like four people something like that but when it's time to sleep the legs come off the table the table just kind of sits on these little slat runners so it's like and then it becomes a a full-size sleeping platform which which sleeps two people yes yeah uh how about like the legality of it with when you cross borders and stuff the seat belts for people um that's my question sure um so i ripped all the seat belts out (laughs) <laughs> they didn't give you any shit. They didn't give me any shit this time. Um, yeah, I because yeah, I, when I when I was building the van, I, I pretty much got it. I took the side panels off because I had to to install the hinges because they're all fastened into the metal siding of the van. Um, I used some of the seatbelt mounts as kind of reinforcing braces to, for the hinges and stuff like that, just to give it a little more strength. But there are no seatbelts back there. Um, it's pretty much just a camp. It's, it's like camper van status, which camper vans don't have seatbelts really in there either. You're um, right. You're right. So um, no one's uh, this time over the border. No one gave us any shit. So we'll see. Let's talk about uh, living a mini camper lifestyle. When you said that. Yeah. In that post, you had mentioned that you lived in a trailer. Yeah. I was like, I got to ask him about this. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting a trailer park, boys. <laughs> not quite. It's not yeah. that. So yeah. it's, it's one of these mini trailers. You live 
off the grid or like yes. in a, in, yep. on your own mm-hmm. in the woods? Um, I, I, I didn't build it in the woods, but um, I, I do tend to live off grid. Um, so my, my home rig, it's a 16 by 7 standard uh, enclosed cargo trailer, much like Band's tour, uh, tow on tour, same thing. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. It's uh, small. Say, say, uh, 16 by 7, but there's a lot of, there's actually, it's quite spacious um, whenever you kind of wor- start working with it. Um, so it's it's seven feet wide, and I, I'm six feet tall. Uh, the, the interior width is about six and a half feet, so I, I can lay down full, full extension back there. Um, th- there's actually a, a video. Some guy did like a when I was camping in, in New Mexico. Some guy came up to me and like wanted to do a video tour of it. So there's a video tour on YouTube like that can link you to Send it. Send it to me. I'll yeah. put it in the description. Yeah, and um, yeah, he did a whole video tour of it. But um, so you know, people listening can check that out there. But um, basically, I have a bed in the back. I have a mobile studio in it as well because that was an important thing for me, obviously. So it has a bed, mobile studio. Uh, a kitchenette, uh, three burner stove, a uh, 30 gallon freshwater tank. I wow. Have, I got 600 watts of solar panels up on the roof, 400 amp hours of battery storage in there. So, um, yeah, it's it, everything I need to live and function and work. And it's uh, the, the way I, I tried to lay out the space so it's very open, so it's not enclosed. I didn't want it to be like real tight, confined. I wanted it to be open. Um, so if you go check out the video, um, you kind of get a better idea of how, how I did, how I laid out the space. What, what led you to live this lifestyle? Why did you end up living? Um, well, I, this was about three, three and a half years ago. Um, I moved from Pittsburgh for the first time to Taos, New Mexico, um, which is, uh, this little mountain town in Northern New Mexico, one of my favorite places in the entire world. Um, but I went out there to learn how to build these houses called, um, earth ships. I don't know if you're familiar with those at all. I am not, no. Okay. So earth ships are, they're built out of new and recycled materials, but they're basically houses that are built to work with the earth as opposed to standard A-frame houses, which are built to resist the earth. So it's um, made from recycled materials. The walls are built with like tires rammed with earth, um, adobe walls, uh, like a big earth berm in the back. There's like no utilities in them whatsoever. They regulate at 69 degrees year round. Doesn't matter what temperature it is outside. Yeah, so they're they're completely sustainable um, off-grid housing. Um, most of them do have propane for gas and stuff like that, but other than that, they have water catchment, they have solar, active and passive solar. Um, they're completely self-sustainable houses, and they're beautiful. They're the most beautiful houses in the world. Definitely encourage you to, to check them out. Too. Is that something that you would like to leave towards and eventually own? Uh, maybe eventually. Um, like with a family, let's sure, say. Sure, yeah. I mean, I can go on a whole big Earthship spiel, uh, which we would take a whole other hour probably. But um, they're, they're beautiful houses. They just, they're so much work. They're, they're a lot of, they're a big labor of love. And like upkeep? Or? Uh, they're a lot of maintenance as well because they're built with, they're built into the earth. So you do have to keep up with them. You have to use them because um, your water is used about three times in the in the house. Um, so your water is caught from your roof into your cistern. Then you use it um, in your sink uh, for dr- it's filtered. And, you know, using your sink for drinking, and then that becomes gray water, which then goes to your planters, which feeds your planters. Uh, they also have built-in greenhouses, so that feeds your food. You get some plants in your greenhouse, and then from the greenhouse, it goes into your toilet. Um, wow. So, so, so then you flush your toilet, and then your toilet, it goes into your septic tank, which goes to a leach field, which feeds your outdoor plants like trees and shrubs and stuff like that. It's amazing. So the water's used three times 
in the whole system and it's not wasted it's not put into a sewer it's uh, not put you know it's everything is used and recycled and put back into the earth in a sustainable fashion do you have a garden yes. at home now um, well I don't have a garden because I live in a trailer uh, <laughs> no no but outside I don't know if, I don't know if that's feasible in New Mexico or not I, I mean I, w- I would love to have a garden uh, if if and when the time comes for me to settle down and which you don't being a touring musician <laughs> but um but yeah, I went out to Taos to build these earthships, and um, I, I got exposed to like the camping lifestyle. And um, at the, uh, a couple buddies I was camping with out there, they had built uh, like little bunks in the back of their like Honda CRVs, Subaru Foresters, and stuff like that. So I got introduced to car camping uh, or uh, dirt bagging, as as, cl- as climbers would call it. Um, but I got introduced to that, and I had a Subaru Forester at the time, and I'm like, hell yeah, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna fucking live out of my Forester for for a minute. So I, I built a bed out of the back of my Forester and lived out of that thing for about five months in, in really in New Mexico and California. Um, and then winter came, um, some crazy life events happened, and I moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, but then I started touring, and the time came where it's like, well, I don't want to pay rent if I'm touring half the year. Like, why would I do that? So I was like, I, I want to go back to living off grid, but I definitely want way more space than I had my Forester because <laughs> it's not it gets quite cramped. Um, so so you have no clutter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm but, jealous. Um, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so I wanted more space. I went through the options I could get I could build out a sprinter I could do this I could do that um, I could you know buy buy an RV buy a trailer and stuff like that but uh, prefabbed RVs are you know of my, uh, 16 by 7 can run you up to 30 grand or something like that you know versus a trailer versus a, a trailer which um, you know, I, I found my trailer for $3,000 exactly yeah I didn't want to do a sprinter because I like the idea of being able to detach from my home so if I wanted just to take my truck and just do truck things I have, I have a truck I, my, I don't have to take my home with me everywhere um, so I was like I settled on the idea of a trailer bought a truck built the thing out um, me and my buddy Max built it out in about like three weeks I think uh, it, it, about 85% of it in three weeks and then I finished the rest on my own after that um, but yeah since, since then that was about a, a year and a half ago now it was March or no May of 2018 and been living out of that thing ever since. Is there a possibility, this is just me being curious, you come home from this tour, your trailer's gone. Well. <laughs> because, like, the authorities find it and you're, it's not legal. I don't know. Sure. Um, well, luckily, um, I have a friend in Tucson who has a gated lot for his business. So whenever I'm on tour, I usually leave it at his facility in Tucson. It's it's gated. It's locked up. No one's going to fuck with it. It's No one's going to break into it knock on wood. They shouldn't. It's a gated it's a lock gate, you know, with barbed wire. Good luck getting in there. Um, <laughs> with but a truck so, to pull it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's safe there. Um, if I'm not near the southwest, I, I usually do float around the southwest just because there's so many climates uh, down there that you can live in. You, you, like the state of Arizona is so awesome. You can be in Phoenix in the winter where it's 70 degrees out. But then in the summer, it's pretty unbearable. But you can drive two hours north of Flagstaff where you're at 7,000 feet, and it's like 80 degrees outside in the middle of summer. Wow. And the, the whole Southwest is just so accessible in terms of climates. And I, I, I really love the desert. The, the beauty of it just really kind of entrances me. So that, that, that's where I spend most of my time now is in, a, is in, the, is in the Southwest. Well, you seem to have it all figured out, Gabe. I, yeah. I, I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing at all. Gabe, thank you so much for coming, sitting down with me, Hell yeah. sharing a pint yeah. at Saint-Buc, Barasseria Artisanal on Saint-Denis Street. 
I'm so excited to see your show tonight. You guys are going to tear it up. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you all so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. I had such a great chat with Gabe. Such an interesting, interesting way of life. Imagine living off-grid, traveling, waking up wherever you want in a clutter-free zone. It is just something that uh, I would like to aspire to do. But uh, most of the time, we always just want more, more space, more storage, more things. So uh, hats off to Gabe for uh, encouraging more people to live like that. There's way too much clutter in this world as it is, and we can all aspire to be a little bit more like Gabe in this aspect of life. As always, the best way to support the Vox and Hops podcast is through the Vox and Hops Big Cartel page. This podcast is a labor of love. I do not do this to make any money. That is not the purpose of the podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to connect with people and then share those connections with the rest of the world because I think that the people that I'm speaking with are very interesting and the beers that I am drinking and sharing with them deserve more attention. But sadly, in a capitalist society... Some finances do help me cover the back end, such as uh, purchasing the beers that I'm sharing with my guests, placing the podcast on social media platforms, uh, paying for my hosting, and that all costs money. And uh, the best way to help me do that, if you're a fan of the podcast, is through the Vox and Hops Big Cartel page. Up there right now, I have the When in Doubt, One More Stout t-shirt for pre-order. This is another limited edition t-shirt. I will not be making another one like this once I close the pre-orders. You can grab yours right now via the link in the description of this podcast that leads you to the Vox and Hops Big Cartel page. As always, if you guys have any questions, any suggestions, if you would like me to answer some of your questions during the intros or outros of upcoming podcast episodes, please send me an email to matt at voxandhops.com. That's M-A-T-T at V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S dot com. And I would be more than excited and glad to answer any of your questions. I hope you guys have a great weekend. The holidays are coming. Try not to get too stressed out. Remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.